You are tuning into the True North Church Podcast. Our prayer is that you would be inspired and encouraged by today's message. For more information about True North Church, please visit us online at truenorthak.org. Welcome to part four of our series, Taking Another Lap. And this series has been looking at a passage in 2 Timothy about enduring hardship like a good soldier, enduring like an honest athlete, and enduring like a hard-working farmer. I want to read that passage to start today. It says this in 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 to 7. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. And the hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. And so this is a, a, a letter from Paul to Timothy, a young minister that Paul has been discipling and mentoring. And what he's saying to them, what he's saying to Timothy is, keep going. It's not always easy, but it's always worth it. Keep going. And what can we learn from these three metaphors that he uses there? And if you missed any of the previous three weeks, you can go on our website, you can go on our YouTube pages, and we unpacked each of those in particular, uh, one by one in those messages. And as I was thinking about this message today, I was reminded of just only about three weeks ago, maybe a month ago now, we had an opportunity to honor some people who have endured. And we had our serve team gala, and we had all of our people. If you're on a serve team, you were here. If you're not on a serve team, you missed out, so you should get on a serve team, so then you can come to the next one. But we honored two couples that have been serving at True North Church. When they started, it was First Assembly of Fairbanks. It's the same church for more than 40 years. I'm 46, and I feel like I've endured so I go, man, they have endured 40 years of serving. And it got me thinking, how many generations in that time have they served? So I asked one of them this morning. They're here. In fact, if you, uh, well, none of you came to the 830 gathering because you're here. So, but had you, you would have actually been served and greeted by these two couples. And I asked one of them, I said, when did you come? And he said he was in his 30s, right? And so I said, okay, well, if you were in your 30s, then there were probably people in their 50s when you were started serving, so that's one generation. There was probably people in their 70s when you started serving, that's two generations. There would have been people your age, I'm sure, so that's three generations. And then of course, there would have been your kids. A lot of them helped out with kids ministry and those kind of things, so that's four generations. And since then, your kids have grown up and now they've got kids, so that's five generations. And you're here serving this morning, kids young enough to be your great-grandkids. So those guys in 40 years have served six generations of people coming to True North Church. Isn't that incredible? In 40 years, six generations. And that's what we're going to look at today as we kind of start to wrap up this series. That when we talk about taking another lap, that when we talk about enduring for the battle, enduring through the race, enduring through the harvest, we're not just talking about doing this for us, but we're talking about doing this to impact generations. And the reason I talk about those 40 years and the generations they impact, because sometimes I think we can hear people say, oh yeah, no, we're going to impact generations. And we think, well, that just means they want to do something really well right now. 
But we really truly believe that God's plan is for multiple generations to be impacted by what we are doing today. In fact, we're going to look at a passage in Deuteronomy that talks about this. It says this in Deuteronomy 6, verses 1 and 2. These are the commands, decrees, and laws. The Lord your God directed me. So this is Moses writing to the people of Israel. So he's saying, these are the laws and commands God gave me to teach you to obey or observe in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees, decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. You see, when we have a mindset longer than the battle we're in as a soldier, when we have a mindset longer than just our race or longer than just the harvest we hope to bring in, we are actually aligning ourselves with God's plan. And that is for a multi-generational vision, a multi-generational purpose, a multi-generational uh, vision and dream, if you will. And we see this. We have Memorial Day every year celebrating those who, who fought long before we were ever here, but they fought for us today. And we celebrate in sports. Every sport puts up their Hall of Fame. You can go to the Baseball Hall of Fame or basketball or football, whatever your favorite sport is. And they celebrate those who played the game a long time ago so that we can play the game the way we play it now. And even this past weekend or Thursday, this weekend, we celebrated Thanksgiving a harvest that was collected hundreds of years ago so we could celebrate today. This is God's heart for his purposes and his vision for what he's asked you to do. In fact, this is a truth that we believe. And if you've got your worship guide, you can follow along and take notes, fill in the blanks. But we believe that the kingdom truth we must understand is this, that when God is long-minded, he thinks multi-generationally. We, we live in a time and... Uh, I see one of my kids and some of her friends back there, so I'm going to be careful how I talk about the younger generation to be respectful. But we live in a generation that to be long-minded is to basically not have plans for Tuesday. Right? We live in a generation, uh, a, a generation that says to be long-minded is, oh man, I have to hit the auto 30 seconds on the microwave twice. That's long-minded. We've lost sight of what it means to be long-minded, to think multi-generational. But we have this passage where what Moses is saying is, is to the people of Israel, what God is doing in your midst today is for you, generation one, for your children, a second generation, and for their children, that's the third generation and beyond. And that's how, in order to take another lap, in order to do what God is asking us to do, we must have this mindset that this is, there's a multi-generational view to this. Now, I want to say this, though, that having a multi-generational view doesn't mean we forsake what God is doing today. We're not forsaking today for tomorrow, nor do we want to forsake tomorrow for what God's doing today. Because the end of this passage says, if you do this, you will have long life. It actually says you will enjoy long life, not just have it, you get to enjoy it. And so God has this perspective on what he's asking us to do. God has his perspective on what he's asking you to do as a parent maybe as a business owner, maybe as a witness to your neighbors, that is for today and is for generations to come. And we want to have that view as we are enduring like good soldiers, racing and competing like honest athletes and working hard like farmers looking to reap a harvest. 
So we must understand the generational view in order to understand who God is and what he's doing. Deuteronomy 6 verse 10 says this, When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities you did not build. We also have to recognize that the multi-generational aspect doesn't start today with us. God has been doing this for generations. We're here because people like those two couples were serving 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, and even before them. And so we are part of this lineage. We're part of this great plan of God to impact generations. We receive the blessing of what the generations before us have done. We receive the blessing of what we are doing now, but we also steward that blessing from the generations before and from what we're doing into the generations that are not yet here. So how do we do this? You see, the invitation of God is to join him in the multi-generational plan. Not to just think about, well, what can I do today? Not to just think about, well, what does Tuesday need? So how do we have this mindset? We're going to look at three truths today, how to be long-minded with our faith for the next generation. And I want to read a couple more verses out of Deuteronomy 6. There's that, we're kind of piecing it together. You can go home and read it later on your own. But it says this, hear, O Israel. In other words, listen, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. So let's look at three truths that we have to understand to to be long-minded with our faith, not just for us, but for the next generation. The first one is this. Understand, it doesn't matter what you know if you don't know what matters. It doesn't matter what you know if you don't know what matters. Let me give you what I think is a very clear-cut example of this. Uh, If I need heart surgery, I don't want the greatest mechanic. I don't want the greatest professor of economics. I don't want the president of the United States. Those people are all wonderful, and they know things. But I want a heart surgeon because they know what matters. They're the ones who know what matters in that moment. And in this passage, in the middle of this book of the law, Moses starts by saying, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And what he's saying is this is what matters, God. God matters. We're going to have all these other things in these books. I'm going to tell you all this stuff God told me to tell you, but what matters is God. And what matters is that he is one. Now this word one, the way Moses is saying it can be understood in a couple of ways. One is that, you know, he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity is one God. We're not going to touch on that today. The other way it can be understood is that he is one in terms of priority. In other words, he is number one. He should be first in your life. And a third way we can understand this is that he is the only one. He's a one of one. He's not a one of a hundred. He's not one of multiple options. He is one. And what he's saying to them is this is what matters. You see, if we forget the ultimate, we become slaves to the immediate. In other words, if we don't have that view of what is the full purpose, we become overwhelmed by the plan. If we don't understand the full uh, fullness of who God is in nature, we can become overwhelmed with what's going on around us here. There's a story in the New Testament of two sisters who get the privilege of hosting Jesus and some of his buddies. And so it's Mary and Martha, and they come into Mary and Martha's home. And Martha, she knows the kitchen. 
She knows hosting guests. So she's busy in the kitchen because this is what she knows. And she's getting frustrated because her sister's just sitting there listening to Jesus. Her sister's not getting up and helping. Her sister doesn't know, man, we're going to be ashamed if we don't serve them well. So Martha's busy back there. And finally, she gets to the point, and I can understand this from hosting Thanksgiving dinners throughout the years, uh, where, no, you know, there's that one person that's just not helping, right? How many of you had that person this, this year? And if they're sitting next to you, just elbow them. They need to know. But Martha goes, Jesus, can't you tell my sister to come and help me? And Jesus says something that it lines up with this truth that we have to know what matters. He says, Martha, your sister Mary has actually picked the one thing that's important. That's my presence. You see, Martha was busying herself with what she knew, but Mary knew what mattered. Martha knew how to host guests, but Mary actually knew who the guest in the house was. And she knew who mattered. And so she sat at Jesus' feet and listened to what he was saying. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says this this again. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Moses wants the people to remind this, to remember this. What matters is who their God is. And when we look at future generations, this should be the thing that matters most. Will they know who God is? I want my kids to have a wonderful education. But the Bible says wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. So I'm going to teach them to fear the Lord if I want their education to mean anything. I want my kids to have wonderful careers and do jobs that they love and make enough money that I can retire early and the the old age home they pick for me is wonderful. But if God isn't the one building their career, then I don't want them to have that career. And when I look at my children... And I go, man, when I think about your marriage and the home you're going to create with all my grandkids that I get to spoil and then hand back to you, I think, but if Jesus isn't in that home, then what does it matter? And so we can have all these dreams and plans and hopes for future generations, but do we understand and do we know what matters that Jesus is the most important thing for those generations? So when we're stewarding our finances, when we're stewarding our health so we can be there for those grandkids, when we're stewarding all of these things, we're stewarding it so that Jesus might be most important in future generations. Our vision for the future generations must start with them knowing what matters and that is who God is. Which brings us to the second truth. We have to understand to be long-minded for those generations. Your relationship with Jesus is more important than rules. Your relationship with Jesus is more important than rules. Now I want to clarify something here. When we talk about rules, you could put the word religion in there. And we're not saying rules are bad. Rules are good. All the parents said amen, right? The kids are like, oh, I like this point, but now I'm unpacking it. The kids don't like it so much, right? We're not saying rules are bad. In fact, the Bible says God gives us boundaries, but those boundaries are in good places. You see, the rules are put in place so that the relationship might thrive, but the goal is the relationship. The goal is the relationship with Jesus. It says here, In Deuteronomy 6, verse 5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Moses is putting this right near the beginning of one of the first five books of the Bible, which are known as the books of the law, or you could call them, these are the books of the rules. 
But what he's saying is, guys, all of these rules are here so that you can love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. If all you get is the rules, you're going to have legalism. If all you get is the rules, you're going to create a desire for rebellion. You must understand that your relationship with Jesus is what is most important. And I can tell you as a parent, man, sometimes rules are so much easier though, right? It's so much easier just to tell the kids when to be home and what they can eat and what they can't eat and what they can do with their money and what they can't. It's so much easier if we could just lay down the law and they would just obey it. But we have to remember it's Jesus that's more important than just the rules. You see, relationship transform you from the inside. Rules govern the outside, and that's part of the process. Rules set boundaries, rules set limits that help us enjoy the relationship, and the relationship can thrive. But what really changes us, what really transforms us is that relationship with Jesus. What's really going to set future generations, your kids and your grandkids and their kids and beyond, up for success is understanding their relationship with Jesus. So yes, we want them to come to church. Yes, we want them to read their Bible. Yes, we want them to do the dishes. But we want them to do all those things to be, to, so that they might know Jesus. I'll give you an example of this. There's a rule in marriage that is simply this, don't cheat, right? That's a rule in marriage. You make these vows and you say, I'm gonna be faithful to you. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think it would be a very healthy marriage if all the husband and wife did every day was simply say, hey, I didn't cheat today, neither did I. All right, good job. <laughs> right? I mean, if you did, like, hopefully you get to the end of the day and you can say that. But if that's all you're trying to say, then you missed out on the purpose of that. The purpose of the rule, don't cheat, is to not only stop you from looking out, but to actually encourage you to look in to look at your husband or your wife and say, I'm, I have boundaries. I'm not looking at anyone else. I'm not talking to anyone else in the way I talk to you. I'm not doing things with anything else that I'm gonna do with you. I am focused on you. So those rules and those boundaries create the strong relationship, but it's the relationship that's at the heart of it. You know, we have this with kids too. When kids are little, they get lots of rules. Why? Because they have no understanding. They don't know how life operates. We just had Halloween recently. If kids didn't have rules on how many candies they could eat on that night, how full would our hospital have been the next day with sick children? Because <laughs> they don't have the understanding this is not gonna be healthy. As they grow up, hopefully, God willing, as they become teenagers, they begin to have a little bit more of that understanding, right? There's some days we doubt it. But they do, they begin to have a little bit more understanding so we can loosen the rules a little bit. When our kids were young, we told them exactly what they could and couldn't eat. Now that they're teenagers, they have a little bit more freedom. Also because they have their own money, they can go buy what they want. Hopefully though, they understand the benefits of healthy eating. So you lay those rules so that there can be healthy people in the relationship. And so we have rules and we have boundaries, but it's all about the relationship with Jesus. And it's because love can accomplish what the law can't. I'll give you a funny little example of this. I've changed how I drive because my wife has made comments on my driving. There was a law that said don't speed. I ignored that. There was speeding tickets that punished me for speeding. That didn't stop me. What stopped me was my wife making comments because I realized, hey, 
It's not good for our relationship. If she's making comments, we have to have this conversation. Then, of course, the kids come, right? We all know that's very famous. Every parent's first drive home with your first kid from the hospital, you drive so slow and you notice how terrible every other driver is. Why? Because you now suddenly have a relationship with that baby in the backseat. You see, love can change us in ways that the law can't. Our relationship with Jesus is going to set us up to do things that the rules simply can't. And our relationship with Jesus is going to have a greater impact on the coming generations than simply us knowing the rules. In fact, that's the third truth we want to look at. In order to be long-minded with our faith for the next generations, we, must, we have to understand it must be in you before it can be in them. If your faith is still just a set of rules, that's what it's going to be for your children. If your faith is still defined simply by following those rules and obeying those rules, if your relationship with Jesus is defined by a list of right and wrong, that's what it's going to be for your children. Deuteronomy 6 verse 6 says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. And then he goes on and says, and impress them on your children. But they've got to be on our hearts first. I have a simple prayer. Two things I pray for my kids all the time. I pray that Jesus would be their priority and I pray that Jesus would be their passion. I pray other things for them as well, but those are the two things I pray for them daily. Jesus, would you be their priority? Would nothing be more important than you and would you be their passion? Would they love you? And you know, every time I pray that, the Holy Spirit whispers to my heart, is he yours? Is he my priority? And is he my passion? Because you see, I can't ask God to do that to my children if I'm saying no to him doing that to me. I can't say, God, would you make sure the next generation obeys you? Would you make sure they listen to you? Would you make sure they know the word and they know the vision and they reach their neighbors? But today, I'm gonna go do my own thing. We can't ask God to do for the next generation what we're not willing to let him do for us. And we can't ask the next generation to do for God what we're not willing to do for him. And so it's got to be in us before it's in our kids. You know, the passage we've been looking at in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 to 7, we read it today. Right before that, verse 2, is Paul's equivalent spiritually to this passage and this idea of Deuteronomy of a multi-generational view uh, of discipleship, a multi-generational view of the gospel. So in Deuteronomy, we're reading this Moses speaking to the people and he's putting it in terms they understand. He's saying, you, your kids, your grandkids. And that is one aspect that you must think multi-generationally. What am I doing today? How is it going to affect my kids? How is it going to affect their kids? How is it going to affect the grandkids? I'll never get to hold. But there's also a spiritual discipleship dynamic to this. And in 2 Timothy 2 verse 2, Paul, he doesn't put it in the context of family. He puts it in the context of ministry. He says this, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. And then he goes on and says, and your hardship and all those things. So what Paul is saying, what you've heard me say, so generation one is Paul. 
You've heard me say it. That's generation two. Teach it to reliable men. That's generation three. Who can teach it to others? That's generation four and beyond. So it's the same principle. So we have this principle in our homes to pass it on. We also have this principle as believers to be looking for reliable men and women that we can teach them the things of God so that they might teach others as well. And that's what church pacity is all about. This whole vision that we have for God. It's for us today and for generations to come. It's for us who are in here today and it's for our neighbors who don't know Jesus yet. It's for us who are in here today who can worship God and say, we're thankful this weekend because of you. And it's for our family members or our coworkers who don't yet know Jesus. And this is the view that we must have. This is the invitation God gives us as his people, as his church. We have a personal and a corporate calling to the generations to come. To the generations of our children, but also to the generations who don't yet have a way to know God. And so when we look at church pacity, we want to ask you and invite you to endure like a good soldier like an athlete, like a hardworking farmer, not just for us, all believers already, not just for your children, but for the children of your neighbors who don't know Jesus, the children of your coworkers. I know some of you in here are your teachers, the children in your classroom, and their children and their children. And that's the invitation of church pacity. You see, church pacity is a big vision because our God is long-minded, multi-generational thinking God. And he holds generations in his heart. And so when we invite you to participate with church pacity, this is what we're inviting you to. A vision that will bless our city today and will bless the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that. And at some point, there will be a generation that doesn't know this building existed. And at some point down the road, there will be a generation that doesn't know College Road existed because they'll have built a new one by then. But the things of God will continue on through the generations because of what we do today. So I want to show, actually, let me read one more passage out of Psalm 78 that's, that just affirms this is God's heart. Oh, my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. What we have heard and known, what our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. This is God's heart for the dreams he's given you. This is God's heart for the vision he's given you. This is God's heart for the people he's placed in your life that don't know him. That when you're sharing the gospel with your coworker, you're sharing that gospel with his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. Think about that. Now, if you're an evangelist, you would say, awesome, because when I lead one person to the Lord, I can then say I led four people to the Lord, right? But you are. That's the investment we want to make with church pacity, which is why church pacity is a big vision, why church pacity is going to take all of us participating, all of us contributing, all of us stepping up and saying, I want to do something to make sure that many generations know the Lord. So next Sunday, we're going to have what we're going to call Celebration Sunday. And we're going to give you the opportunity 
And there's many ways to participate in church capacity, serve at the church, join us on missions trips, go on the events, help out with things like 12 days. But there's just a real practical need for finances for a vision like this. And so next Sunday, we're going to ask you to contribute and be part of a multi-generational vision that's going to bless our community today and for many generations to come. And so we're going to kind of walk through really quickly here this little booklet, a couple things. In fact, I think there's some slides on the screen here that'll go with it. This is the, the building that's going to house the vision. We know that the vision is more than this, but this is what it's going to be. This is over on College Road. Building A is what we've already got going. That's where our school is going to be starting in a few months. And if you didn't know this, we've actually made some hires this past week. We've got more job interviews. If you want a job at a daycare, come and talk to me after this gathering. I'll, I'll show you where the application is. But that's building A. That's going to become our kids' wing fully when we finish building B, which if you've driven past College Road, you would have seen the steel structure behind our current building. That's what it's going to become. Phase three is down the road. Actually, I'll talk about that in a second. So let's go to the next slide. This is the inside of our building. Let's go to the next slide. This is the three phases. Phase one is mission critical space. What is the space that we need that we can start with to do what God has called us to do today? Phase two is enhancing the campus, making you know those little nicer touches, going a little bit beyond that. And phase three is going all the way to building a school and gymnasium on that property that said phase three. We want to see a school from a daycare from zero to five, an elementary school and a middle school, maybe a high school. We're not sure yet. But this is the vision, and that school is going to serve generations of people. We can go to the next slide. This is our current financial situation. And the only reason we're, we want to share this with you is you have some confidence that we're not just asking for your money and then, woo, hopefully it does something magical. But we are actually in a very good, strong, healthy position. The total value of our eight, uh, 18 acres over on College Road is $10.7 million. That's what it was valued at. We have put $1.4 million into uh, improvements. We put two into the current building that's over there. We put $2.4 million into the first phase of getting that steel structure erected. We have $4 million in the value of this property. And the goal is to see our school in a couple years, when we make the move over to the new building, the goal is to see our school purchase this property and transform it into an elementary school. And so that's where we're at with that. Next slide. Uh, I kind of summed that up. Let's go to the next one. Sorry, slide guys, you're doing great. Our financial targets is that we will raise three to $4 million. I'm gonna talk about that in a minute. We'll borrow from banks or lending institutions, three to $4 million. We could actually probably borrow more than that, but we don't want to max ourselves out with what we borrow. And then again, we'll sell this building to our school for three to $4 million. So what we're asking you is would you take your next step on the generosity journey? You see, we don't want just a building fund where we pass the hat once and you give a big chunk. We want all of us to grow in our faith, to take the next lap, if you will, to take the next step in your generosity journey. Maybe you're in here and you've never given and you wanna give for the first time. Maybe you're in here and you've given once or twice, but you wanna become a consistent giver. Or maybe you're in here and you're at the place where you go, I've been giving and tithing consistently. I actually now wanna become a sacrificial giver. I wanna look and say, what can I give up so that I can give more to God? Maybe some of you, you're in here, you're at a place where financially you could be a legacy giver. 
And a legacy giver we define as someone who no longer asks the question, God, how much should I give? But they ask the question, God, how much should I keep? Because they want to be a legacy giver. So we're going to ask you this week, would you pray about where are you on this journey? And would you take the next step? Maybe you even take two steps on it. I don't know. And would you come next, ready next week to take another lap with us? We got that last slide up there. Would you take another lap with us? We're going to give you the opportunity to let us know, hey, in my lap in your, or in my lap next year, my journey, here's how much I'm going to give. And it's just a pledge. It's a commitment. It's here's how much I'm going to give on a weekly or monthly basis, however you want to give it. And then we're going to look at that and say, okay, God, here's how much we have for the new building. And like we said, our goal is 3 to $4 million raised in that. And so I want to ask you, church, would you this week spend time with the Lord? So just looking at that. And again, it's in the booklet. If you want a little bit more definition on it, where am I at? And God, where are you asking me to go? And would you come ready next week to celebrate that God has encouraged you, celebrate that God has challenged you to take another step in your generosity journey, to take another lap with us, not just for us, but for the generations to come. Amen. Amen. Church, would you rise and we're going to worship. But as you, as, as we do that, let me just pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that when our grandparents were worshiping you, or for some of us, when our grandparents were wandering as far away from you as they could get, you saw us and you thought of us. And I thank you, Lord, that as you look at us today, you see the next generations. And Lord, we just want to be people who have that view, that multi-generational view that you hold over your people. Lord, would you help us know how we can contribute, how we can take a lap, how we can take the next step in our journey, not only for ourselves, but for those generations to come. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. What a fantastic service. Be sure to stay in touch by following us on social media so you can stay up to date with all that is happening at True North Church.